0: your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, we have another very special episode today because this week, Doc is visiting Liberty University, where Inner Armor works with student athletes, both men and women in every sport. And today we have Neil Binett, who oversees mental health and performance services for student athletes at Liberty. Neil has a master's in counseling from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and is just now completing his PhD at Antioch University. Neil, welcome to the Inner Armor podcast. Thank you. It's a privilege. Good to have you here, Neil. Well, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, Doc has told me a lot about you, all great. And in particular, went on and on about not only how bright you are, but how data-driven your approach is and how you like to use data to sort of innovate new approaches to solving problems and seizing opportunities. So I'm really excited about our conversation today and to hear your thoughts on the challenges and the opportunities of working with collegiate athletes. So, Doc, do you want to talk about how you met Neil and how you began working together?
1: Yeah. Um, If our listeners listen to the other podcasts with Chris Casola, that was much earlier in our development. Like I said, we were kind of in this neuropsych silo of doing some testing for student athletes with previous diagnoses. But as we started to, to scale more, and started to get more data in that would give us a more complete picture of the athlete, uh, Neil and I started to interact. And uh, I think one one of the stories I remember about Neil was that uh, we had started doing just dipping our toes in the vision therapy piece, right? And um, I'm looking over the data. I'm like, who is this person that's running so many vision sessions? So I'm like looking through all my student lists, like who, what student is this? You know, this Neil Binette. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, that's Neil who I met that's up in the cal. Is he doing the program? And I don't think I've seen somebody work so hard. Do you remember when you were doing that, Neil? Oh Yeah. <laughs> My capped out at a hundred sessions. And now you're going to say like, Dr. Moore, come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's not just like, yeah, it's good for the you know students to be doing that, you know, which you see a lot, you know, is like people, hey, the ki- it's good for the kids, but not for me. And Neil was all in. And it was amazing to actually watch your progress, Neil. Um, well, yeah. I have to
2: tell you, so okay, I never retested myself after doing all those sessions. I just retested myself uh yeah you know, two months ago right and that was two years ago i did the program and the changes that were made were pretty significant wow and it held two years later because that was kind of my question does like, this actually like you know does it help somebody just for the moment you know does this fade over time and i was like oh my gosh like i've seen improvement and it clearly has held on after two years that is
1: amazing yeah. so when i talk about like neil the data and I mean, this guy like walks the talk and it's, it's really interesting because being in the field of psychology, you know, for my entire life, there's sometimes that people can kind of get sequestered into their office and their silo. And this is the way I've always done it. This works and not saying that it doesn't work, but Neil's always looking for, well, how, if my goal is to make this person stronger, what other resources can I leverage? And that is a very unique trait to have as a, a therapist or a psychologist to to be like, hey, let me look at this differently. And that's why we've had such good synergy together. It's been exciting to just to see where Neil's going next with how are we going to use the information. So.
2: Well, and, you know, it, it's funny, I will not share too much of my backstory. It's probably a story for a different day, but a lot of my experiences have led to this kind of a, uh, passion or understanding of, of psychology to say like, I, I don't want to just, uh, you know, I do coffee shop therapy, sit in, you know, in an office and just have a conversation with somebody and be their professional friend. Right. I mean, I, I probably counseling needed to be a lot more than that. And I think sometimes we can lower the standard because it's such an abstract field, right? Like mm-hmm. if people feel good when they leave, then I've done my job. Right. But, I want to have measurable goals and outcomes to say, you know, it's great. I want to be your friend. But at the same time, I also want you to progress and move on. And and especially in a performance-based field like this, we'll, we'll have small windows of opportunity to develop our craft and get good at it. And in the same way, I view psychology where, um, yeah, I want to good at what I do and I want to be conversational and relational, but I also like get better. I want to have goals. I want to be achieving new heights all the time. And, and I want to know where that ceiling is and see if I can push beyond it. Right. So, um, my passion has been a little bit competitive that way. <laughs> I think that's why, you know, I enjoy, uh, this environment so much, but also, um, we should always be growing and evolving anyways. Right. And I, I do believe that there's something in the, in us that wants to, to, to always grow and learn and progress and, and move on from another uh, previous state and, and we should be growing towards something all the time. So, you know, it was really interesting, you know, meeting you, Tim, where I, I, I really uh, appreciated that. So you have to know this about at least my bias as a, as a therapist, right, where you have the evaluator come in just to give someone academic accommodations and no one's reading the report. No. And so what I was excited about right, is, oh, okay, just give me the accommodations. Tell me what we need to do for this athlete. And, uh, and we'll just you know, give them external tests in front of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And, and let's be honest, like, there was nothing that was saying you can get better at this. The medical model will often say, oh, you just need to deal with your shortcomings. And as athletes, that's not okay, right? I mean, we always have to be finding new ways to push ourselves beyond our, our own self-defined limits and the one of the things i really appreciated about inner armor i was super excited because you weren't saying you know let's just accept our weaknesses and just try to find ways to increase our strengths and just you know try to deal with uh you were saying no we have some interventions that you can practice that will actually help you be better Right. And so Mm -hmm. that's why I did all 99 sessions and was wanting more, (laughs) right. Because, you know, we all have this drive in us to be better. And somewhere along the line, we learn, oh, you're just not going to get better. You have to accept that that's the way things are. And I think very naturally, you know, you're in my connection. We were seeing things the same way, right. Is that, that this profession doesn't need to be an acceptance of the negatives. Yes, it should be. I think we need to learn to tolerate very difficult circumstances that have happened in our lives and find a way to accept those things. But you were saying, no, I can actually help people improve their rate of processing information. And so that really kind of stuck with me because our field of psychology is a processing oriented, insight oriented field where we're growing and learning about ourselves and about the world around us and how we interact with that world. And if we can, Shift that by something as simple as I can spend five minutes doing a vision exercise, me process information better. Yeah, we bring that on, right? I mean, we spend five minutes doing a lot of things throughout our day and they're mm-hmm. not always
0: good. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. So, Neil, correct me if I'm wrong, but student athletes today face some unique pressures that they might not have in previous generations. So we're looking at these athletes, they would be between 18 and 22 years old, approximately, uh, which means they were all born around the turn of the 21st century. And this is what the demographers call Generation Z or the Zoomers, right? So they were pretty much all born after 9 11. They've never known a time when they didn't have immersive access to the web and all that that entails in so many ways. Uh, smartphones came out when they were toddlers or even after they were born so they've had the web in their hands probably before they could ride a bike uh, they've grown up during years of what would you call the last 15 years cultural and political upheaval uh, and the sort of rapid transformation or perhaps meltdown depending on your perspective of values worldviews and religion in our culture that have taken place over this last decade or a in a lot of ways, they literally grew up in a very different world than the one that the th- three of us grew up in. So now they come to college with all that that entails for any student, but they have the added pressures and the privileges of being athletes and having to perform in their sport. So with that kind of elaborate setup, how does this generation of student athletes differ from previous generations? And Maybe what do they bring to the table, but also what do they need? Because I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, your goal isn't just to help them perform better on the field or in the court and the pool. Your goal is to help them become healthy human beings on and off the field and for the rest of their lives. So, okay, that's, that's a good. big windup, yeah. but uh, <laughs> take it from there.
2: Yeah. You know, let me just start by saying, you know, that holistic view of the athlete, that 360 view is exactly what we uh at least have for a goal here and 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 again part of why i love what we're doing uh even with the inner armor program is this one more facet that we can add to that 360 view of the athlete and so you're right in this generation there's some really exciting things that they're doing that you know we could have only dreamed of being able to do and it's something they've grown up with and, and i think in that way it's very exciting but Anytime we we create any kind of change or shift away from what was the norm, it's also going to have with it some side effects, some drawbacks too. And so I think there's a lot to be excited about and a lot to also be cautious about, right? I mean, just even you mentioned the the information boom, right? Having Google at your fingertips. What an exciting opportunity is you have access to any and all information that anybody could have Miss, information and misinformation, right? So, you know, being able to filter out with that, you know, uh, information means for the individual, it also makes it really highly subjective. But what we have now is a generation that is far brighter, far smarter, far faster than what we could have ever have dreamed of. And and, and that's very exciting in a lot of ways. So what it has done is it's certainly increased pre- pressures, but it's also increased a certain precision, right? There's a certain exactness and a certain, um uh, detail and truth that this generation really craves and hungers for. And so what I see as the side effect, and, and I think you know, uh, we'll probably talk about this more throughout the course of this this discussion, is that what these um, this current generation is also craving and hungering for is, is more interpersonal contact because that part has been missing and and again, I wouldn't say it's wholly bad because now we have this access to information, but now this generation is trying to find ways to read into certain cues, and it's driving a certain amount of overthinking or isolation. You know, on either end of the spectrum, is is I'm, I'm overinvested, trying to read into, and it's creating all kinds of cognitive distortions. Or on, on the converse, I'm I'm super isolated and distracted, and scrolling through my phones and just the phone and just looking at someone's pictures, and we create this fantasy world of what life can or should be, and how I don't compare. Right, so I see our athletes also struggle in a very similar way, where there's almost this fantasy world of what they have to put out there of who they are and what they look like, and we're lacking authenticity and and even truth of who we are. So when you look at the identity challenge of what that creates, is I have to put forward this image of who I think I'm supposed to be, what people want me to be, and now I lose that sense of self. Who am I actually? And that's that means awards and all, right? Like there's some things about me that maybe I try to hide, and I can hide behind in social media, but I I have to come to grips with who I am, uh, both the good and the bad. And I think we're starting to lose that. And now what I see in this current generation is a certain hunger and thirst for, you know give it to me straight. You know, this is the generation of uh, everyone gets a participation award. And let's be honest, the, the, the reality of that is we're creating, um, in one sense, you know, information gurus, but in another sense, low resilience, to uh, anxiety, depression, all these things, pressures, uh, even performance on the field. You see athletes that are crumbling at the first, you know, sign of criticism. And then now we want to bubble wrap everybody and and protect them. Everybody gets a participation award. And I think in one sense, it's really, really good. But in another sense, uh, we have to, of course, correct a little bit.
0: You know, in the last couple of years, as I, you know, sent my kids off to college, whatnot, you know, and did those visits, I was struck with how different the campus is from way back in ancient times when <laughs> I went there when the world was still in black and white everything. Sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, right, uh, it it felt like now I'm going to say something that probably comes off a little bit pejorative, but it felt like summer camp. You know, it was really elaborate. So so, and I'm not saying that's bad by all means. But can you talk a little bit about this time in life and how higher ed treats these students and sort of the you know, maybe the pluses and minuses of some of that?
2: Sure. Yeah. There, there's some things I do love about it. And again, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look at this from both angles to say, you know, there's some really good and some, some things that we're, we're probably going to see as a, as a negative effect you know, later on, you know, there, there's a lot of good. And, you know, what I like seeing is that we're, we're making the shift towards, you know, more critical thinking, right? Because I don't have to memorize all kinds of information or regurgitate any of the information because all I have to do is Google it and have that, access within seconds, right? I can have a full dissertation of what someone's written on any given topic and have it in no time. So we need a generation of thinkers that can think beyond just the information. Mm-hmm. And this is the transfer of knowledge, right? Is it's okay, I can I can read a book about how to run a chainsaw yeah. until I have a chainsaw in my hands, I don't actually know how to run a chainsaw. Right. So we've got this group of youngsters now coming up. I mean, you know, I'm sounding old here saying that, but yeah, you know, this uh, this young generation here that has all the knowledge that they could want and more than they can handle and deal with. And then they're not taught how to use it in a uh, uh, constructive sort of a way. And so I, I think we're missing that transfer of knowledge into you know, uh, wisdom. So people are hungry then for okay. So you can tell me all these things, and I'm going to be skeptical critical of of, all, of the information. But then I don't know how to use it, and so now we're stuck in this void of of a lack of critical thinking. And and I think that that's what we're seeing when it's lowered motivation in the workforce. We're seeing that. Um, it, I mean, we could go on all day long, right? About oh, back in my day, you know, things were different. They would have to go there because there's, there's some really good, but we're also seeing then the consequence of what we've created by having so much access to information. And again, you know, we're, here we are, we're talking about in our armor range, right? so we're looking at information processing. And so we need a generation that can handle the massive amounts of information that they're taking in. But then what do you do with that, right? You're stuck in overthinking or you go into to shut down in, in isolation because I can't handle the constant barrage of information. And so what we're seeking it hungry for is interpersonal connection. And again, I think why we're seeing so much need for therapy is because people are hungry for, I need to process, I need to talk this through, I need alternative perspectives. I'm stuck in myself all day long. Right? And that's not good for us because then it leads us to this hypercritical, this, you know, the, the stuff that we're going through as a society right now where it's cancel culture and all this stuff. It's good that we're looking at this and saying, okay, give me the information. But then what do I do with it? Because I can't handle mm-hmm. it because I can't process information that fast.
0: Doc, back when you were you were doing your doctorate in family systems and then in your clinical work with children, and children's neuropsych on through adolescence and then how your career progressed, you've got 30 something years of sort of perspective on development of young people into adolescence
1: into student athletes. I mean, there's things that are different and there's things that are similar. I think uh, time is always the thing, is, you know, where are we getting time? And that, you know, 30 years ago was still an issue as it is now there's a lot more things that are pulling in our time. The ability to watch whatever I want for as long as I want, and as many episodes as I want, and as many seasons as I want. Uh, we start to lose lose time that has to go someplace. And if we were looking at time as cash, you know, maybe we would all be a little bit different with that. But in doing so, I think people are using that many times to deal with different emotions and different things that are going on. Um, there's a tendency to have less structure. Um, we see that I think in different styles of parenting where, uh, you'll see that, um, it's kind of looked at negatively to be putting limits and boundaries on kids, but kids really need limits and boundaries because they're trying to develop themselves. And so that's a different podcast, but, uh, the necessity for structure, routine, being present is huge. It is It's so hard to find the space and time to be present because there's so many things that are pulling at us to distract us. And um, I mean, just think about the last conversation you had with somebody that was really meaningful. They were probably not looking at Instagram. They probably weren't. You know, rushing out to the next meeting, they were just sitting there talking to you. You know, over the dinner, you know, or the glass of wine, or whatever it was, you're just chatting, right? And you're you're being present. And there's nothing, nothing that will replace relationships. You, you just can't. It's not, not going to happen. We are relational beings, and our lives are just a series of relationships. So, I think some of these things can. Enhance, but I think they can also compromise real relationships and disconnecting from the knowledge that could be at you every second is hard to do now.
0: Neil, when we look at collegiate athletes, so often they're put on a pedestal, right? I mean, they're idealized, they're idols. You know, we watch them on TV, uh, you know, national championships, and fans buy their shirts and hats of the school, right? Boosters donate money. I mean, collegiate athletics is a huge multi-bazillion dollar industry, right? These students athletes are in the prime of their life, physically, mentally, the 20, 21 year old with everything going for them. And we love to watch them perform, right? But they're also human beings. They're not just performers. So how do you work? How does liberty work? To avoid allowing them to become idols or just performers, how do you work to preserve and develop their humanity during just this very brief window that they're on this stage, you know, between 18 and 22 years old?
2: Yeah. And again, part of why I love Liberty so much is um, (laughs) certainly the resources are available to our student athletes, but there's also something qualitatively different right. We're invested in relationship here. And, and, you know, and and can hear that term, uh, training champions for Christ? Um, it it certainly can get misconstrued in many ways, but, but I, I see how much dedication goes into building relationships with one another and modeling that Christlike attitude of, I mean, look at, that was the mission of Christ anyways, came down to enter into our humanity. Right. And so, so when I think about what we're doing here, in a holistic sort of way, where we're kind of embracing that thought of entering in with one another. And so, you know, talking about presence, I think that's right on. We crave authentic connection. And and what I see, at least ideologically, we don't always, you know, get this a hundred percent, but I would say we're we're on the right track of uh, uh, really trying to develop quality of relationship. And so whether that's in academics and, you know, in the team up there, and they're doing a great job to Ask a student athlete how they're doing, get to know them on a personal level, understand their life and what kinds of life circumstances might be influencing their current health and well-being. We have a whole section to, uh, you know, these uh, these athletic shepherds we have, what a great job that they do to just develop and grow relationships with our student athletes. And even the counseling services that we offer here. And again, we go beyond just, you know, mental health counseling. You know, when you see the, the depth and breadth of mental health promotion that we're trying to accomplish here we have a lot of resources available, not because athletes need to use all the resources, but it's, they can use the resources that are available to them that they need in that moment, whether it's they need to come to counseling or maybe they need to do some uh, vision training or or maybe we need to do some uh, some further assessment uh, and better understand, you know, the individual, uh, you know, their data, their information so they know themselves better. Now, there's there's just such a, um, uh, you know, this this holistic approach of understanding the individual. We're having to go downstairs and talk to the doc about uh you know medication management, or talk to a nutritionist about fueling properly, or talk to our strength coaches about overuse or, or you know, different things that are going on for an athlete potentially that we're able to meet the individual where they are because we're taking this holistic approach, not just to look at, you know, the the team as a whole and oh, this person doesn't fit into the team, but how do we help? each individual plug in and find a role in how their role can contribute very specifically and meaningfully in their own way right we have 26 individuals on a team that they all contribute in very significant and very different ways and we're promoting belonging we're promoting all these things that we mean our emotional level to say you know this is what we offer as a service also, we're trying to find a way to develop the individual and, and help them be the best that they can be on or mm-hmm. off the field for a lifetime. Not just this small window of four years where they're here and they're being asked to perform at some high level. And I believe that that helps build the resilience that they need to perform at that high level. And when you talk about being idolized and, and all these things, it, our human condition, we're, we're not conditioned to take on that type of uh theme we're, we're built for interpersonal connection so we believe fundamentally that if we help the individual be connected and know themselves as well as develop relationships with one another with their teammates or coaches their athletic shepherds their teachers you know whoever it is we're, we're we are trying really hard to help the individual develop quality of interaction not just quality of performance because we believe that when someone has that safe base, that emotional needs are getting met. They're going to be more confident. Self-efficacy is going to be at its highest. More confident Mm -hmm. uh, athletes are going to perform better, right? And they can withstand the criticism and the critique and they can handle direct feedback and they can be resilient and they can handle, you know, a game where they underperform and bounce back.
0: Doc, with your background in systems theory, speak to the issue of how the team functions and how from a family system standpoint, the team interacts, but also not just the players, but the coaches, the staff, all the people like Neil and others. It's a totality of a system. And you've seen this not only, of course, in the collegiate setting, but also on the professional team. So we've talked before about what it takes for a a team at a professional level to succeed not only with the players but with the staff and the administration and so forth. Can you give us some insight?
1: There's a couple better? unique things that we do here um, that l u Liberty has uh, embraced and that helps a lot with that, um, which is uh, I don't think it's done very many other places, but we have all the student athletes do this behavioral assessment. It's probably the the gold standard's been around for 50 years i think there's over 12,000 studies done with this behavioral assessment um, very widely used called the adult self report and they go through and they answer 113 different things about themselves behaviorally and emotionally and this creates a a picture for us around a uh, 12 to 15 different variables that we can rank that can either be clinical or within normative ranges and we've always used that I've used that in my career for the last you know 30 years but here at liberty what we do is we take that and we combine the whole team so we know because we've had created such a s- significant database here we know what an average liberty athlete looks like compared to 600 other athletes. So we have that many in the database. So yes, we know what clinical looks like compared to the normal population, but we know what the stressors and different things are going to be on the ASR. So we can compare to that database. Then we can take the whole team and see where does the team fall as a unit, as a family, as a community on these different variables. So we might have one team that's a little bit more anxious than the other team. One team that has issues in the interpersonal side. Um, Another team that may be a little bit more withdrawn and depressed. And this is a consistent theme is rather than one size fits all, then we work with the shepherds and the trainers to say, this team has this particular need. And over the next six months, let's try to help them learn to, to develop some of these interpersonal skills. This team's a little bit more obsessive, anxious. Let's give them some more tools to address that. And so we work, we see them as a system. They're part of a family. We also see them as individuals. And then I think on the intervention side, I mean, Neil's been kind of the impetus for this is rather than us work in silos, Neil's like, hey, I want that stuff over here in the counseling area. They don't just need to go to the resilience room before my sessions. I'm going to use this stuff and integrate the interventions across different platforms. And maybe that's something that you you could speak, speak to, Neil, like why you started to do that, what you started to notice, that integration of bringing the inner armor, like interface directly with the counseling, not just a separate place. But can you talk to that a little bit?
2: Yeah. You know, I, and, and I, I probably should have said this back in the introduction, right? Part of, I think why, you know, uh, you and I both talk, uh, yeah. you know, we are we we speaking the same language in a lot of ways, right? You from the psychologist side of things and the understanding of the data and things like that. But I worked in environments where we did a lot of psych testing and, and I really enjoyed being able to work with our evaluators to, mm-hmm. okay, so what does this mean for that individual? Right? So um, so I, I already had a bit of a, you know, a learning experience before this that really helped me understand these inner workings a little bit better and how to apply them, right? Because as a counselor, right, you can give me the data all day long and sure some me the recommendations, but I want to know how to apply this so I can affect individual change, right? So, you know, even all the data that we have i'm looking at this and saying okay so so if, if i can empower an athlete with knowledge about themselves about hey this is an area where i see you know a, a potential effect that you're saying is is not necessarily a healthy or good one for you these are the things that we can do whether it's information processing or, or even just calming and regu- regulating your nervous system or maybe you know we're looking at performance issues around hey i'm getting winded but i shouldn't be conditioning is you know or should be and, it, and again i'm not getting that granular you know, with with the performance side of things, because I am am looking more at the clinical side. But as I start to hear these things and things start to stand out to me, say, hold on a second, tell me a little bit about your nervous system, how you're, you know, coping, how you're dealing with these things. Let's set you up with some breathing exercises because I think they'll help open up some bandwidth for you. And then what I started to realize is that athletes that were, Practicing these very simple breathing, and, and you know, especially in breathing right. If people hmm. are breathing before they come into session, they just have a better session, right? And so, Buddhist monks have been talking about this for thousands of years. You know, oh, if I breathe right and I'm you know mindful and I'm present and and all these things, I'm, you know, I just have a better quality of life. And it's like, okay, I can withstand difficult things that come my way and i'm looking at that and saying well this isn't anything brand new we can just measure that now well, we can we can measure it and we can actually interact with our data to create improvement as as opposed to it just being abstract and so i think so often there, there are certain individuals that really struggle on the abstract side of things if i can give them data and say hey we can measure this and take a look at how are you doing you know with coherence and how you're getting into the zone or difficulty in the field also how are you doing interpersonally like you get dysregulated when you have a conversation or when you get feedback from your coach he sends you to a uh, you know tailspin of overthinking or hey having this problem you know with your you know your significant other and, and connections is really lacking so we can dive a little bit deeper and understand some different um, measurements of how is your nervous system how are you doing information processing what are the scores on your asr say about what the problem areas look like because you know i recently had a student athlete that said oh yeah i want to deal with anxiety and we look at her asr like hang on a second you call this anxiety but where you're actually mm-hmm. aiming mm-hmm. on your asr is actually depression right so so can we, can we have a little bit of conversation about what you mean around that and so you know and again we'll talk about her specifics but we're then able to more um Mm -hmm. interface with the actual problem that we're facing, that the student athlete is finding a barrier to their performance, to their academic performance, to their performance inter-personally in their relationships. And so now I've got data to back it up. And we have some information that, you know, it helps me as the therapist both to say, Hey, this is helping me get to know you better. And as I go through the assessments with them and they start to share like, Oh yeah, you mean I've been having this difficulty with my short-term memory. I had one athlete look at me and she goes, that's why the parents always used to say, <laughs> "Lights are on, but nobody's home." It's like, we say, "Like, wait a second, Tell me more about that, right? And So now we're we're generating conversations around problem areas where someone's been stuck, and now they they start to get unstuck, they get out of the mud, so to speak, and they get some traction now in their relationships.
1: Yeah, and oh, what an interface with, and that's what I, I appreciate so much, Neil, is your your willingness to open up and say. What else can I provide in this therapy office? It's not just only Neil, in a sense. You're bringing these things in, the breathing, the neuropsych testing, the vision training. You're doing all that stuff, and you're reporting they're getting through faster. They're they're more present. They're more aware. You're having to do less fighting back defense mechanisms, and let's get to the heart of the problem, which is just such an innovative way to approach therapy and i think we're seeing some really good traction with it
2: yeah i i can't speak enough good about what this has done even for my own personal work right i mean i i i very much believe in in the the, the need we all have to know and be known right and and if we can get quicker to feeling known and to know one another better um yeah that there's going to be no ceiling.
0: Wow. So I'm going to throw this out to Neil, but Doc, you as well. I'm curious as we kind of wind down here and kind of a two-minute warning um, on our time, prognosticate a little bit for me. Where do you see collegiate athletics going in terms of the development of the student-athletes And where do you see these methodologies that you're using at Liberty? How are they going to continue to evolve? Where will it be in five years or 10 years?
1: Do you want to start, Doc? Sure. I would say that um, I think if all we're doing is addressing downstream behaviors, uh, emotions, thought processes, and we just stay there and just Put more counseling offices, you know, and make academics bigger. Not that they don't need more resources, but I don't think the answer is just to build more buildings and more offices and just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's how are we getting upstream, okay? And the, the organizations or institutions that stay downstream And every time the beach ball pops up in the pool, they push it back down again. And now we got 100 people in the pool pushing down the beach balls, right? But they keep popping up. Um, But then you have an institution that says, wait a minute, let's go upstream and let's figure out what's going on here that's driving this and empowering the person to actually uh, resolve their own problems, right? Like we only have, these institutions only have four or five years at most, but those resources aren't going to be there once they leave college. Right. And so if it's like, oh, they can keep, you know, use these things, you know, with no discretion, they're just using them over and over, but yet we're not teaching them. No, you got to go fly. You know, you, it's time to, to get your wings and go. Um, it's like parenting in, in some ways is, We have all the resources. We're providing the house. We're providing the food and those kind of things. But at some point, you got to go do some of that stuff. And I think on the mental health side and on some of the resilience side, if the end game isn't resilience, then I don't think we've done our job. And there's going to be a distinction between institutions that just are doing more of the old same way to do it. And then the institutions like Liberty who are saying, no, we want to ask tough questions. How do we keep them out of this counseling center, right? That's my take on it.
2: Well, I think, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, right? So (laughs) I would love to no longer have a job because counseling is no longer needed, right? And so so I'm boldly saying that, you know, I mean, the last thing I want to see is, you know, my my trade go away here. But you're right. We shouldn't be building dependence on therapists. We should be building a more resilient model to help people endure the difficulty that we inevitably face as human beings. And we're trying to train people to withstand that difficulty and be able to continue to progress in their lives. And and again, this is not a deficit reduction model. This is about progress. How do I continue to grow and evolve in the course of my lifetime? Because I want to continue to exceed my own expectations for myself. And, and again, it's not to put the pressure on, because what I, what I see here, right, is that in the athletic world, right, we're all talking about pressure, 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 pressure. What I've noticed, though, is that as much as pressure increases, we have to also manage mm-hmm. uh, all of those emotional needs. And so you can continue to raise the bar if emotional needs are met. So, you know, we're calling that resources and, you know, let's give the more students more resources. No, let's equip them to be more resilient, to have their emotional needs met, so they can withstand the pressures that they're under. Because if this is about perceived pressure, right? You stress versus distress. Like, like okay, you know, so why does you know two, you know, people go into the same battle and one comes out with uh, with PTSD and the other doesn't? Right? We have to be to look at that and say, okay, how do we then help the individual grow in And create protective factors in their life to then be more resilient so they can withstand the thing that they're coming up against because that thing isn't going away right and so and again if we're talking about that in the world of athletics pressure is going to increase the higher you get in your ability level the the bigger the stage the bigger the accolades the the bigger the the notoriety that you get and in order to to withstand all that pressure, you have to have a relational model that helps balance that out and meets that emotional relational need at the same time, because we're going to become really isolated and disconnected. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck in comparison and we're going to be stuck in that, you know, that model of social media that says everything is you know, perfect and wonderful in our lives. And and we need a more genuine, authentic view because we need to be allowed to make mistakes because that's how we grow. If everything Mm -hmm. were perfect, we'd have a lot of boring games because there'd be no score.
0: You know, we're going into March Madness here and millions and millions and millions of people are going to sit on their couch and watch their favorite teams and watch the March Madness tournament and how exciting that all that is. As we kind of wind down here, Neil, what what do you what would you want our listeners to know or maybe to remember when they're watching those student athletes perform? What would you want them to sort of bear in mind as they watch them on that stage?
2: Yeah, you know, what it makes me think of is expectations, right? We don't we don't want to lower expectations, but we also want to realistic expectations, but we also want to agree to expectations. And so even as a passive participant in watching a game, right? Like I have these expectations, my team's gonna win or someone's so gonna be, you know, a star performer. And we have to, you know, reevaluate what we're what we're putting out there. Uh, as far as our own expectations of, of what what we want to see from our favorite player or our team or, or our alma mater or whatever it is. And, and let's be more thoughtful about, uh, yeah, we want to win, right? I mean, that's what we're all here for. And yeah, we want the loyalty and for our team. But it, it goes beyond that, right? It, it goes it goes to this, this place of morals and, and values of what is it that, that matters to me? And I want to see my team embody something I can really get behind, not just something I can criticize because that person was the, you know, that key winning shot or the high pressure situation, right? We want a, a mindset that's more driven by what we stand for, what we care about, what matters to us than it is about any expectations that I place on somebody else to meet my needs for entertainment, you know, and, and, and if, if a hard-fought battle and you know you see a good game where both teams fought hard and the, the best team won, they were more prepared, they were you know better coached, that helps us raise the standard too about to say, okay, next year we, we're going to learn and we're going to grow and we're going to rebuild and do the things we need to do if we lose. Or we can humbly win and say, no, we prepared, we worked hard and, and we, we gave it our all and we did everything we needed to do because we stood by some values that really mattered to us. Right when I see all these things that are going wrong, and we can look at the incident in UVA, you know, last fall where uh, some people unfortunately lost their lives to someone uh, that that yeah. had a gun. Um, we need to look at the individuals and the expectations and pressures we're putting on them, and start to teach a more value based interaction and, and that we stand for what we care about in those relationships instead of you know, one of criticism and and missed expectations. I, I think we're missing the
0: vote. Fantastic! Wow. I mean, I don't know what else, I don't know what else can be said. I think you just, that's that's what we call in the industry a mic drop there, Neil. So, uh, hey, if you want to learn more about Liberty University and the pioneering approach that they have to student athletes and collegiate athletics, go to liberty.edu. And if you want to learn more about Dr. Royer and Inner Armor and the kinds of things that they're doing, not only with student athletes, but professional sports teams and ordinary people and everybody in between, go to ForgeInnerArmor.com. Thank you. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, guys. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.